You're listening to Time to Talk. Martin Lyons played Dr. Luke Folano on the Australian TV drama All Saints for six series, only leaving when the show underwent a radical shake-up. Sayonara, Ward 17. But during its heyday, All Saints was hugely beloved, mainly because of its character-driven plots. And Dr. Falano, the ambitious young surgeon who went on to do great things, was one of the characters that you could never quite decide if you should like him or loathe him. G'day, Martin. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, Tim. How are you going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good. Is that fair? I mean, That's you, accurate. Yeah. You created this three-dimensional character. He was very three-dimensional. Uh, honestly, he was like, uh, depending on the episode and the series, he was arrogant, ambitious, but, yeah. but really big-hearted all at the same time. Yeah, and, and very all of that came from, um, you know, research. I mean, uh, and I've had some recent experience with surgeons where they certainly lack bedside manner. Um, mm-hmm. In hindsight, now, I mean, Luke was was trying his best, you know, but he was he was gifted. That was the thing I loved about playing him. He was a gifted young surgeon, and so his battle, you know, on a day to day basis was in relationships and patients, and you know, the human contact. When it came to slicing and dicing, he was a king. So I was in a real fight too as a young actor. I had to fight to make this guy not one-dimensional, you know, so I had to imbue him with uh, a soul because sometimes the writing would head towards, you know, he's just an asshole. Um, and that was really – that was good fun. It was good fun. In those first couple of series, what always amused me and what I think you did so well with the character was when he would be explaining very proudly to the patient what he was about to do to them and thinking, you know, because he's looking at it through his lens purely. This is what I'm going to do. It's very exciting. I'm about to sever this and connect that and do this. And the patient would be – and he would be utterly confused and baffled when the patient didn't look grateful or as excited as he was. It's the first time it's ever been done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Aren't you as excited as me? Pump up. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And then inevitably Bron or uh, one of the girls would be standing there rolling their eyes and then <laughs> shit on the way out and then wouldn't come out for dinner with me. <laughs> I mean, that was yeah, the cliche of the show was that, you know, I'd be all medicine, you know, da-da-da-da-da at the patient and then I used to say the drama of the show was, you know, are we going to fuck later? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. You got I mean, it's out. certainly what the, the audience loved too. Particular, you know, it was number one show with women, and so women really enjoyed it. A lot of mothers and daughters watched it, and they loved the romance, you know. The storylines that came through were actually quite educational in a way, but uh, it, this was – Disease of the week. <laughs> yeah, there was so the formula for commercial television is A, B, C storylines. So each week there was three storylines, mm-hmm. and um, you know inevitably Georgie uh, took the bulk of the the A storyline. So you'd have a B or a C, and it would be you know this patient has this disease, and but we deal with massive issues, topics, you know, teenage abortion, steroid use, you know. Uh, transgender, you name it, we went there. And we went there, boots and all, we jumped right into it. Mm. So it was interesting. It was, it was interesting from a week-to-week basis, what are, we, what are we doing? I remember one time I had a speech which had the words penis, vagina and clitoris in one sentence. 
<laughs> and it was where a patient had, this has just sprung into my mind, where a patient had uh, both sets of genitalia, so hermaphrodite. I remember that. We did everything. There was nothing that we wouldn't do. Yeah, no, it was. It was. It, it went there, didn't it? The show yeah. actually did go there. It didn't sugarcoat. That's for sure. Did you feel like you learnt a lot about the medical, like? Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, you I became know, right? quite quite literate in, um, and I still am. And in fact, my son's had some health challenges recently, and in talking to the doctors, I see them surprised when I use, <laughs> you know, medical terminology. And I know that it's the right terminology to use, and I know it, so I use it. My son is now watching this show for the first time on Catch Up, and he yeah. has this theory, right, that, I mean, he's only up to, like, one of the earliest How old series. is he? Uh, he's 18 now. He's okay. 18. But he's yep. been watching it. Like, there's a lot of episodes, okay, Martin? There's a lot. I know. I was in them. <laughs> he's been watching it for a year. So <laughs> he was a child when he started. He's now an adult. That's how long this went on for. Um, but we love it. We really enjoy just watching an episode here and there. But he has a theory when it comes to your character um, that every time we see uh, Luke with the scalpel in his hand performing like a very delicate surgery, he d- he's he comes up with this. There always seems to be a more senior surgeon around you going, careful, Falano, you don't yes. want to hit the arterial vein. Yes. <laughs> and we wait for it. He now goes, wait, he, he's about to do something extraordinary. Someone's about to um, sledge him. <laughs> That's just hiding the, heightening the drama though, isn't it? It's like <laughs> laying on the pressure. And one of those senior surgeons who was a, an interesting guy, John Noble. So he used to float in and out about once a month. He'd come in for a day or two and he was my he was my mentor, if you will. Yep. He went on to be in Lord of the Rings and have his own show in the States. Really? At, in his 60s. Wow. So when, when we were working, you know, I was 30 years old and, you know, at the top of my game and he was 60 and he was an odd character, but he, I loved it. We used to get on really well. And, you know, he was doing a bit of teaching and, you know, I remember he was going through a divorce at one point, you know, pretty, you know, struggling along at that age. Mm. And then five years later, he's just top of the world. And it's like, that's John. <laughs> Good on him. He had a role in uh, Lord of the Rings and the rest is history, you know. But he's just one example. When you look back at all, say, I can't tell you how many times I sort of stand up from my lounge and go, hang on, that's so-and-so from that other show. Every single Australian actor known yeah. to man seems to have played a role on All Saints. Is that correct? It, that's right. I mean, I did 300 episodes and with three storylines, you inevitably had three guest actors. That's 900 actors. Yeah. And at every party, you know. People used to come up and go, oh, I worked with you on All Saints. And I used, to, <laughs> I used to go, yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, I remember it really well. <laughs> I mean, some of you remember, obviously, and some weeks. I also had people say, you're an asshole. Because I used to always ask, what was I like? You know, and because I used to try to be good to everybody, you know. Um, hmm. And Georgie really led that. That was one of the things with the show. We had a great culture amongst the actors because Georgie Parker is a great human and we were all young graduates of acting schools there was nine of us from memory and Georgie was the big star and she didn't behave like a prima donna ever so how could we so we tried to you know I was always trying to be um welcoming and accommodating but I can be a kind of intimidating type of person sometimes so if I was if I had a big storyline on and I was concentrating and stuff you can come across, just like Luke, you know, you can come across to your fellow actor as 
uh, arrogant, self-involved, whatever you want to call it. But um, I've got to say, I, if you don't mind me saying, I find that fascinating that you would actually ask for the review from people who worked with you later. What well, was it like working with me? What What did they say? There's certain things in my life that I've been asked a million times. You know, mm-hmm. what's Georgie Parker like? How much do you get paid? What's it like? You know, and so I, I've, I had a little series of questions that I used to ask. <laughs> but that, that was one people. That was one to fellow actors. You know, they'd say, "Oh, I did the show." X, you know, in whatever year, and I'd say, oh, you know, how was the experience for her? I said, well, what was I like? <laughs> well, I wasn't rude to you, was I? I hope not, because I'm probably being rude now by not remembering. And occasionally someone would go, you're a bit of a jerk. And it's like, okay, you were there on a bad week, you know. So, I mean, that- we, I mean, I did 300 episodes in seven years. It was yeah. relentless. Yeah. Um, they don't make TV like that anymore. So that's one of the other sort of misconceptions. People used to call All Saints a soapy, and by its nature, it's not. It's a one-hour weekly drama. That's the way the terminology is used in the industry anyway. Home and Away is a soapy because it's half an hour every day. Mm-hmm. So Home and Away has got the highest, and Neighbours and shows like that have the highest turnover, turnaround, most minutes shot per day. But we, we were shooting something. Um, the next level up, but nobody was shooting 45 episodes a year. So Sea Patrol would shoot 22 and then have three months off and then yeah. shoot another 22. But that time is time to refresh. And so it's natural that over seven years you have moments in your life where you're not so happy for a couple of weeks. Of course, of course. But at the same time, you're a NIDA graduate. Acting is not just something that you, you, you're passionate about it. You take it seriously. So describe it as a soap sort of diminishes the work that goes into a show like that, I would have thought. Did you, did you actually yeah, – how much effort just, went into playing your role and getting it right? Uh, there was nothing – no stone left unturned by anybody on the team. That's what made the show. Um, from the very beginning, um, the writers, Susan Bauer, um, producer Joe Porter, from the very beginning, ev- and every young actor that was just graduated from NIDA or Whopper or VCA and Georgie Parker, you know, wow, and we were all... 100% engaged in making it the best it could possibly be. Mm. So that's probably why the show succeeded. And, and, you know, when we went to where they put water rats, they moved water rats from Monday to Tuesday up against us to kill us. Mm. Uh, and I, I was relentlessly pessimistic, thinking that, you know, we're about to get axed at any moment. And it's yeah. that time of your life where you're thinking about buying a house or, you know, starting a family, which I did, you know. But <clears throat> so you're constantly on the edge of your seat, wondering if you're going to get renewed. There's six-month options. So every six months, it could be the end of the show. And within a couple of years, Water Rats was off the air and we were cracking 2 million viewers a week, which was, you know, rarefied air. We were producing the show quite economically. A show like Water Rats, you know, by Channel 9, they threw more money at it. And money equals quality on screen generally because – it's – I try and explain this to a lot of people. So from an acting perspective, money is generally quality. So because what it gives me as a performer is more time. 
so I've got more time. I can do more takes. I can explore. I can try different things. I can ask for a change. I can. We can discuss the script. We, when you're on Home and Away, your skill, the skill set you bring, is to be able to nail it on the first take. Yeah. And that's what All Saints gave me was seven years of going to the gym. Acting's a muscle, and you're in the gym all day, every day. They used to. We sometimes we'd have an episode run short. And it was always, this is something for your son, it was always the tea room scenes um, because that was a small set and we could they could shoot it in one with one camera or two. Uh-huh. And I remember we had episodes that were running short and they'd run down with a new scene. And it would invariably be me and uh, Jenny Baird. I can't even remember the character's name. Who was my Paula. girlfriend? Paula, that's right. Um, and I remember we had these huge talk fests that would go for like three minutes. And we'd, we'd given the script ten minutes before we shoot it. And I used to feel incredible pride about that. Not, I turned it around from feeling like, oh, they, you know, they expect us to just, you know, I'm an actor, I need to prepare, you know, that sort of. <laughs> I turned it into, I'm a pro, I can do this. How many actors in Australia could do this? Could, could memorize a scene, punch it out in one take at the end of the day to make the episode up to time, you know, and still try and make it a good scene. Some of those scenes, we're brilliant. We're really good, you know. Oh, the chemistry between you two in particular was was amazing, and she's just brilliant too. Like, and yeah, and what I find bad. about her character too is when a new character like Paula comes in late because she did, she came in yeah. late. You don't, you instantly don't like them because you think, oh, no, I want maybe yeah. Anna back or I want this person back. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you to be able to fall in love, I think, is a testament to the work that she must have done with the character because she's yeah. wonderful now. Now that I've accepted her into my life. <laughs> yeah, and she was a trained, trained young trained actor, and she was yeah. serious about what. She, again, it, we were all very serious about what we did without being, uh, you know, jerks about it. We we just wanted to do well. So, so you know, we'd be waiting to do a scene for two or three hours, and we'd just be working it in the oh, green wow. room. Just you know, how can we make you know running lines rehearse, but properly rehearsing. You know, like. God, it sounds fun though. At the it same, it is time. so much fun. You know, it's like jamming when you're a musician. It's like it's that's that's what I mean about the muscle, your, your acting muscle. You're just working so hard. So then, I remember the first day on Home and Away. Um, the first scene I did was really complex. I'm in a BMW and I have to it's down at Palm Beach and I've got to pull up, hit a mark on an angle in the car, then jump out of the car, run around and hug. Steve Peacock, Brax, you know, and then, and it's all on one camera. So then we've both got to find the camera and every, this whole thing. Nailed it in one take, hadn't acted for three years. (laughs) So I I love how proud you are of your craft. (laughs) I was just going to say, so I became that sort of actor because that's the work that I got to do. I didn't get to do the real, you know, Chekhov at the Sydney Theatre Company. I didn't get to do. Uh, you know, I missed out on Erskineville Kings. I didn't get to do Adam, uh, Snowtown. So my career was those types of jobs. So I f- found a way to find the pleasure in what I was really good at. And and all the while, a profile in the public eye is developing too. That's probably beyond even what you realise because you're working so hard. Yeah, the fame, notoriety, call it what you will, is a byproduct, but it, it's much harder to deal with. So talk to me about that. Like, when did you first realise that your profile was was getting quite big? I suppose as the show's popularity and ratings were coming through, yeah, you realised. 
the first six months of shooting, so it's like six months of shooting before it goes to air. And yep. that period is so exciting, so exciting. And and then it goes to air and you're waiting to be asked for autographs everywhere and it doesn't come. And you think, what's going on? And then it comes and you love it. You really enjoy it because it's validate. It's it's yeah. not validation. It's uh, recognition. It's like these people are watching this work. So mm-hmm. unlike like my, I started as a stand-up comedian. You, you're funny. They laugh. You know it's immediate. In a play, they clap at the end. You can tell how loud they're clapping. You know whether it sucks or whether it was great. With TV and film, you pour your heart and soul into it, and you just don't know for months or years and. And then you only know if, if people approach you. So so initially it's like, oh, yes, this is great. And then very quickly it's like, please leave me alone. <laughs> oh, so it gets, it gets tired quite quick, does it? Oh, yeah, really quick. You, so the greatest quote I, I read about it, which I still believe is true, is you cannot value your anonymity until it is gone. I remember I was dating Belinda Remett and we were in Bali and a double-decker, we're walking through these back streets of this little village outside Nusa Dua and a double-decker bus of tourists pulls up and they all jump out to get photos of her. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome because I was going out, I'm going like, no one wants a photo. And then one person wanted a photo. Of <laughs> but, but you just go, oh, we just, you know, or you're having a really bad day, you know, or something really tragic has happened in your life. Mm. And you, you're meeting with a friend or a lover to have a drink and try and talk it out. And people are coming up to you, being rude to your friend and, you know, in terms of ignoring them. And you're just not in the zone for that at that moment. So, Eventually, you stop. Your friend, you want to talk to your friend because something really tragic's happened in your life. Uh, you don't go out. You say, "Look, can you just come here?" Because I can't go out. You know, you can't go out. And when people approached you, Martin, were they generally respectful, or did they no. ever see the mark? And because Luke was the type of character, so ah. um, uh, like women in Woolworths, like middle-aged <laughs> women in Woolworths, so rude to me about Bron, <laughs> the way I treated Bron because they loved Bron. <laughs> <laughs> Libby Tanner's the best too, right? So she's a great girl and uh, and the audience adored her. Oh, and because we yeah. had a rocky relationship, I used to get so much shit. But, uh, what did they say to you? Oh, just you stop that and, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> wow. That is so strange. And, and you're a bastard. I just start a conversation with you're a bastard. And I, <laughs> and I just turn around and just go, yeah, well, you're lovely. You know, like I didn't know what to say. So I used to prepare little, little comebacks and retorts. But there was another time in Woolies, my local Woolies where I used to shop, um, where I got called Luke, Simo and Adam in one shopping session, 20 minutes. All your characters. The, character, the biggest characters I've done, yeah. And it was like, wow, demographics, strokes for folks, you know. <laughs> but it'd be great if somebody come up and said, excuse me, are you Marty Lyons? And you go, yeah. And they go, oh, I just wanted to tell you, I really love the work you've done over the years and really enjoy the show. That would be so not, never happened. Happened once or twice. Instead, they come up and go, you're that bloke off that show. Not oh. a question, a statement. And how do you respond? I used to, so I used to say, what show? <laughs> it's not even a compliment. You know what I mean? It's like, a, I know your face, but I don't know from where. It's like, wow, 
I'm really made an impression on you, haven't I? <laughs> but on the flip side, Martin, like if you're in Woolworths and you do see Luke Falano getting the wheat picks down from the top yeah. shelf, that is a little bit of a shocking moment. I guess. I mean, I don't know that, you know. But, see, I've been around a lot of famous people who I really admire too. H.G. Nelson used to drink coffee at the same coffee as me and Clavelli for a little while, you know, and I was determined not to look at him. You didn't want to interrupt him or you didn't want to think you were in awe of him? What was it? No, no, I just didn't want to make him uncomfortable. Yeah. And I've been like that a lot. Jack Thompson was at a movie premiere once and I desperately wanted to meet him, but I just couldn't work up the courage to walk up to him. You could have gone up to Jack and went, you're that guy out of that movie. (laughs) Exactly right. Martin, Martin, tell us, it's it's the nature of shows like All Saints that, I mean, they're drama, so they've got to have drama. The storylines that you were wrapped up in, I mean, my goodness, poor old Luke Villano, he went through a lot in his in, yeah. you know, six or seven years on that show, didn't he? I mean, yeah. What are some of those storylines that stand out to you as either brilliant or completely absurd? <laughs> completely absurd. Um, I think Helmut Bacardus played my father. And it was a few years into the series and it was a really great way of going deeper with where Luke comes from. So his dad's a mechanic. He's from the wrong side of the tracks. And But there was Mar, um, Mar Brown too, so he's tied up with organised. I you know, loved that storyline. so stuff, funny. right? That was, <laughs> that was probably my moment on the show where the writers and producers said, right, we're going to give him six months. Where not, not that you're the main guy on the show. It was always Georgie. But um, – yeah. But you're going to get a real run of big storylines. And it's a challenge, it's fun, and it just develops the character, you know. The cars, I love the cars, right? So I remember one day I showed up to work and they had a, a Prada for me. And I wow. just said, no, Luke doesn't drive a Prada. <laughs> no way. So if you go through, one of my favourite things, right, if you go through that show, I started off in a Charger, a Valiant Charger with skull lock caps on the had skulls on the where you lock the door. Um, I remember a car company offered me a car and the, the bloody horrible girl wouldn't let me take it. It was a Ford Taurus. That was a sporty sort of thing, wasn't it? And yes. then I had a Mustang Cobra, which I could hardly fit in. Then I, And I finished up with a Porsche. So the character, did, and I used to be in meetings it was just one of the only things that I used to really put my foot down on. I used to say, look, if we're going to get a character car, if you're going to go to the bother of getting one, get a cool one that says something about the guy. He's a car guy. <laughs> so, Always with the dark glasses as well. Well, you've got to wear glasses when you're driving a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the way Luke left the series was in a Porsche off the, up the street with Paula. And I said to them, can I please light it up? do a big burnout, and they wouldn't let – they just would not let me. And I said, oh, that would have been my, brilliant. That this is been my great. exit from – and he's off to New York, you know, and he's got his girl, and, you know, and I wanted to just, you know, smoke it up and go, and that was Luke. So I got – I revved it up and I did a sort of a version where I thought they wouldn't become completely apoplectic at my disregard <laughs> for their instructions. But anyway <laughs> – I tell you what, though, Martin, in, in all seriousness, you liked this character very much, didn't you? It comes oh, through in the way you're talking. You loved him. There's no character I've ever played that I don't like, even bad yeah. ones, you know. Like, they're awesome, you know. I mean, you have to. That's the key. So it's now, one of the things they teach you at night. Even when you're playing a villain, you must have empathy for the 
the character, you must know why. What made him bad? I mean, Hitler. Why was Hitler the way he was? If you were playing Hitler, you'd have to spend a lot of time, most of your time, trying to understand him and fall in love with him. You have to. You can't play him otherwise. Otherwise, he's he's a, a character in a cartoon movie, you know. And then that makes me think of Joker and Heath Ledger and stuff. And it's like that's what he's done. The the Wacking Phoenix one I watched the other day. Brilliant. That, yeah, I mean, it's not because he's playing this just bad person. It's because that film, more than any other, makes us understand that poor guy. Empathy with yeah. the character. It's the only thing that – and it's hardest to do. The worse, the, the more evil or bad or whatever the words are, uh, character you're playing, the more important it is to do that. And that's why that film did so well. It's because it's a character that we already knew, but we didn't – he showed us the real – the real reason he showed us the empathy for the guy—it's really interesting. And, and the similarity is with with your character, Luke. By the, if you were a regular watcher, you did understand, like through his background and his family and his brother and the little gangster group that he was wrapped yeah. up with. You really understood where he was coming from. He was actually—I really, really related to this guy very strongly. But can you tell me this? When they did announce that they were going to do this shake-up around the end of series six, I think it was, or so. Yeah, yeah that it come was. as a shock. Enter entertainment outlets sort of reported this in this way they said that some of the regulars yourself included were uh, really shocked that they were being moved on how was that news delivered to you yeah look um yeah i do remember the time i was leaving anyway i i'd done so the contracts were three years and so i did three years um uh, 50, uh, 50, three years, 152, 150 something episodes per three year contract with six month options all the way. So they could sack you every six months, but you couldn't leave. So I'd done the third, the second one, and that was six years, 300 episodes. So I, I, I'd, I'd had enough. <laughs> and, um, so it was yeah. your choice, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It just was never going to happen. About, about a year out, I knew that I wasn't. But I, look, I think they wouldn't have offered me one anyway. But it was mutual, you know. It was just like, yeah. And that's that's totally understandable. I think it's a creative pursuit, and it's like we've gone as far as we can. Um, what what I'm incredibly proud of with that show is we built something because that show started basically in a restaurant with us talking about it with with Sue and Joe Porter essentially. And we were up against it. We had a small budget. We had water rats against us. And we built something that lasted 13 years in Australian television and gave work. So then John Howard came in to kind of head the ship a little bit um, and a bunch of new faces. And that's great. They had somewhere to go. That's fantastic. Funny thing about the, the funny thing about John Howard was that he actually played probably your patient, but certainly a patient on the ward for about two or three episodes in the early series, and yes, then he comes back right. as the, the head yeah. of EED. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. like me did notice that writers we noticed. <laughs> yeah, look, I remember approaching him at the at a bar in at the Logies, and I'd played um, the same character he played in the film, The Club, the young footballer. Yeah, and I played that in a play at Marion Street Theatre that's no longer there in Pimble. And, you know, I was a big fan and he was sitting at the bar alone at the Channel 9 after party and I walked up and said, 
to introduce myself. This is we were talking about this before. Yeah, he, I was go. a real fan, and he was sitting on his own. And I thought, and we're drinking, and I was in a good mood. I think we just want to leave. And um, I put my hand out to shake his hand. I said, oh, I played the same characters you in the club. And I put my hand out to shake, and he looked at it and looked away. Oh. I was just couldn't. So years later, on All Saints set, he was brought on to set, <laughs> introduced to me, put his hand out, and I returned the favour. You're joking me. Nope. And the producer <laughs> just couldn't believe what she was seeing. <laughs> Did he understand why? Did you ever explain to him why no. you dissed him the second time? No? no. Okay. Unless he's got, you know, a very poor memory. I'm sure he got it. And wow. we worked together for about, I don't know, I was there for about another 10 weeks or something. Wasn't that not, awkward? Not a nice guy. You know, people don't talk about this stuff, you know, you're supposed to keep it all secret, but he was a real jerk to me. No, he wasn't yeah. a nice guy. Because you wanted to look up to him, right? You, you would like Yeah. And then it was like, okay, you think you're better than me, and then he comes to my turf. <laughs> I just thought it was beautiful. It was synchronistic, <laughs> went- you know. Yeah, and talking about sort of big names, like you mentioned Belinda Emmett there, and um, I was, such a lovely girl. I just, I was such a fan such of her. Lovely hers. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And very sad. Obviously, she, yeah. she became quite sick while she was on the show, I believe. Yes, yeah, and we were dating too, so we had a little red hot love affair. She was a lovely girl. She lovely was a great girl. actress too. Yeah, and she's got to show that a bit more on All Saints. Who else on the Who else on the show did you love doing scenes with? You've mentioned the character of Paula there. Uh, yeah, well, Libby, who else? Libby was fantastic. Yeah, and it was interesting because she's a tiny little thing, and I'm six foot four. And uh, if you kick, because we did so much, so much kissing. If you, uh, when you're really tall, really short, and they're holding a profile shot of the two of you, it's like my head would come in from the top of the screen and hers up from the bottom, <laughs> and that just doesn't work. So. I used to – it happened organically, but I started picking her up when I kissed her. Oh, really? And the audience loved it. I used to get comments. I love it when you pick her up to kiss her. Because, <laughs> you know, they'd say, oh, we'll put her on a box. And I go, no, to put her on a box. That's not very sexy, you know. <laughs> I used to do that to guys sometimes and they didn't like that. No, I can imagine. But, gee, there were so many um, people on that Maybe show. Maybe it was great. Oh, look, seemed to have great chemistry. Amazing. There was guys, just so many. Socrates was a guy that I was really blown away by, who now plays the trans character on Prisoner, oh, Wentworth. Um, oh, yes. Socrates, yes. just a guest character, but he just sticks in my mind because really, I'd known him from NIDA. And, yeah. You know, that's the thing, all your friends coming in, you know, um, to guest guest star and, you know, so many and, and some legends. I remember sitting on the loading dock smoking cigarettes with uh, Rowena Wallace, who was wow. my first TV gig was Pacific Drive. Oh, that didn't last long, did it? Oh, they got a couple of years out of it. Oh, did they? Okay. Yep. My last episode was her first episode, and so there was a party for me going and her arriving. But years later, we're out on the loading dock smoking cigarettes with – it was her and – um. Francis, the red-headed lady who's, who died not long ago, uh, Francis. Uh, Cornelia? Uh, yes, thank you. And, you know, I'm in hindsight, I'm this young, fresh kid, and these are these two love, you know, these dames of Australian television. Edgy. And they loved it because I'm treating them with just respect and awe and, and they're not used to that because, unfortunately, people don't get treated like that. 
and it became a regular afternoon thing between scenes. We'd be out there and they loved it because they could tell that I thought they were awesome, you know. And Judy McGrath must must stick out for you, am I right? Yeah, Judy and I didn't get on great. I okay. She seemed a bit no-nonsense. That was the character, but <laughs> is that fair to say? Very much, yeah. Yeah, I, I had a chance to direct at one point and she sort of cost me that opportunity. I could never understand. What happened? Uh, she basically just didn't seem to want me to get that opportunity and it was I was moving to directing. I was doing short films and it was something I really wanted to do and I had a lot of directors there really encourage me. Um. And the producer, it was going to happen. I was going to get a shot. I had to jump through some hoops first. And it's very much like on Home and Away where a lot of the actors are directing now. Okay. Um, but, yeah, she, she just made it hard and, and it really hurt. It really hurt. And I did not, never understood why somebody, and as I'm getting older now, I want to help younger people. I don't want to stymie them. But, that you know, again, I'm just telling the truth. Um, she was a great actress. She'd done it for years and years. Uh, she'd never had children. She was a very um, self-contained woman, but um, she was a pro. There's no question about that. She was an absolute professional. As were you, if you could continue, you know, knowing that that's how you feel offset, but you, you still played the scenes together. Oh, and- yeah, and, and yeah. I spoke to her about it too. I'm also the sort of person that, you know, says what they think. You know, I said to her, why would you do that, you know? And, she didn't offer any any great um, reason, but I had my say, you know. God, I tell you what, we had a director who's also passed away, Peter Fisk. Yeah. And uh, he was very blunt and uh, he loved me because and we'd go home early, but he'd print first takes all the time. So you knew you had to uh, – you had to be on for the first take because if, if you wanted to go again, he wouldn't go again for you. Um, and Guy Pierce taught me something about this. So if, if you're halfway or three-quarter or towards the end of a take and you're not happy with it, you, you almost have to make it unusable. It's so <laughs> a tip. I love a tip that. For your, yeah, it's a real tip for high turnaround TV. So say on the last line, you just go, you just scrape your face like you're not happy with it. Yeah. Um, so they say, I'll go again. Peter would just go, pick up the last line. <laughs> oh, like and you'd say, oh, can we just go from the top, you know? But, but yeah, he, um, I remember they used to have these orderlies who would wheel in patients, you know, and they'd, they'd have to say, you know, uh, MVA, uh, you, you know, explain their injuries, MVA, contusions to the abdomen, uh, administered five milligrams of pethidine, um, et cetera, you know? Yeah. But this one guy just couldn't get it. It only did about five takes, but it, Peter just came out and said, get rid of him. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, and the this, poor man. The poor kid, sheer brutality. But it, and it, especially with extras, he used to be quite harsh on them, you know. And uh, But it kind of had to be that way. And as an actor there, you kind of – because it was pissing us off too. Every time somebody stumbles on their lines. So there was occasionally people that were overawed. And depending on the director, some directors are very gentle uh, and we try and help the person. Other directors were brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and we just act around them and they'd end up getting cut out. There was one Eastern European director who 
made a little girl cry to get her to cry on camera. Oh, no. And we essentially said no more, and he never worked there again. There was another uh, short, rotund director that I I had an absolute blow-up with because he stormed on the set because they're always around the corner with their headphones on, you know, and uh, he stormed on the set and started shouting at me, and I just – like a cobra, you know, just arched up and started shouting back at him and said, you know, you want to start shouting, let's shout you. <laughs> he wow. didn't come back either. Yeah, well. So these were rare times, but they did happen rare. on the oh, set yeah. of all yeah, Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like any workplace, if, if you're there for long enough, yeah, there's moments, you know, and even – yeah, other actors sometimes you're working with. And they- I mean this with the greatest of respect, but when you start developing, you've been there for a while, so you know the job yeah. really well because it is a job. Your profile's also big. You are popular because you were. Your character's popular. As an actor, you're popular. Can you become a bit too big for your boots on the set like this? You could easily. Yeah. You could easily, and you do see it happen. Um, but that show in particular, that wasn't – and it was all because of Georgie. Mm. She just – you can't be on set with Georgie. and I mean, she's got, I don't know, half a dozen gold luggies or whatever. She's the most delightful girl, uh, lady, and just – you just – unless you're bigger than her, you can't act like a jerk because she's not a jerk. So really important to have that mental so – I, I don't model. think on that set I ever became those things. Some days mm. I would take it very seriously because I'm – playing life and death scene and I know that I've got nine scenes to shoot today. The, sh- the show's hanging on my back this week and I've got to be focused. And I'm sorry, I can't talk about your pet Labrador at lunchtime, you know. Yeah. And if they take offence, they take offence. I don't give a shit, you know. Yeah. Um, but there was never it was never method, you know, like Georgie and I would be laughing. They, they're calling, you know, they call quiet for sound, uh, quiet on set, roll sound, and action, you know, George and I would be laughing and carrying on right up until Anne, and then we'd throw straight into a deep and meaningful conversation, you know. Isn't that amazing? So, so it wasn't it wasn't incredible. method. It's not like you walked around all day with a storm cloud, you know, hanging over yeah. you. But for the same token, you've got work to do. So at lunchtime, I'm learning lines for the scene after lunch. The scene at the end of the day, I, I don't know yet. You know, I've certainly read it several times, but I would learn my lines as I went. I never was a line learner. I used to learn the scenes. Um, oh, the spirit of them and then get the lines. Yeah, the lines would come. And some of the medical jargon I used to read off. This is one for your son. I used to read off the chart. So at the end of the bed, there'd always be a chart, and I'd always walk in, pick up the chart, and do all the medical speak, which isn't the show. It's not the drama. And then the drama, which is, you know, the patient's dad's been bashing him or he's been taking steroids, whatever it is, right? So the medical chat, instead of spending so much time on that, it's really boring and it doesn't really matter. So I, was, I always said that stuff light and quick. That was it. Um, um, remember Bud, um, Bud Tingwell, what a yeah. beautiful man. Yes. What a beautiful man. That was something he told me. Uh, light and quick. Um, <laughs> so I'd, I'd walk in, pick up the chart and read all this medical stuff really quickly, <laughs> um, which was usually directions at the nurse, you know, half-hour neurobes, quarterly, that is, this and that, and so stand there and keep that going. Right, so Peter, how are you today? How you <laughs> yeah, or, or Bron, where were you last night? You know, or whatever it is. 
the other character in there, Mitch, he used to call you Scalpel yes. Man. Scalpel right? Man. And, and I have to say, you did amputate nearly every second episode somebody's yep. limb. What yep. was that about? I've never seen a doctor perform so many amputations in my life. Yeah, well, it was around the time, and I meant to mention the helicopters, and when Luke was on trauma team, that was a really good time as well. Mm. So he'd go out to accidents. And invariably, if someone's crushed, you've got to amputate. Someone's <laughs> arms crushed or their legs crushed in a, in a car accident or a um, – Train crash? Rock fall. Yeah, my hand was crushed in that one. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, But hugely dramatic and i remember having the actual swords you know and they're just like yeah. it's like a fancy bunning sword. <laughs> yeah, we, we were watching one last night can i just tell you we were watching one and of course you know there's the uh, luke's been called out and then you go okay well this man he he never sleeps anyway he's out there and yeah he goes i'm, I'm sorry old chap i'm gonna have to chop off your leg and he pulls out like the biggest samurai type sword i've ever seen in my life and i, I couldn't watch i, I didn't oh, see what happened see. after that all i could hear was the crunching of the bone yeah i loved all that stuff <laughs> i absolutely loved it my favorite was a paladectomy which is a, a real surgery paladectomy it's a conscious brain surgery so you're awake. oh stop it they did that to mitch didn't they no no this was a, a guest character but so you've got this okay. and we used to get the actual equipment so this halo was worth like half a million dollars this big stainless steel thing that you bolt onto the head oh. and then you take a skull piece of the skull off. Oh, that's worse than watching the show. And then you diathermy, which is to burn the affected vessels. But you need the patient conscious because it's for Parkinson's tremors, and it's only it's only valid for some patients where the affected area is um, accessible. But he lifts his hand; tremors are still there. Burn a bit more of the damaged cells away. <laughs> lifts his hand; tremors are still there. Burn a bit more off. Cured for life. <laughs> Yes, I do remember that episode. I really do. What amazing surgery. I said before, my son's just had a a really serious surgery and, you know, the doctor comes out at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night and they just save lives. That was the thing I wanted to mention earlier. So the big thing that's said about surgeons is God complex. Have you ever heard that? Yes, absolutely. They've got a God complex, right? And it used to get bandied about by the the writers and the, the whole nursing because the whole show had a real nursing bent to it so i was like the devil <laughs> and uh they used to go on god complex god complex and i sat and one day i said who is closer to god you know you or your child is going to die from this brain you know brain tumor and because i've spent 20 years of every waking hour learning about it i can save you who who is closer to God? This was a line on the show. I think it's because I said, let's write it. Mm. It was. It came from me because I said, we got to de- oh, I need to defend the guy because mm. everybody's pissing on him, on his reputation, you know. Like, yeah. This is, and I, I still believe that, right? So the surgeons I've met recently as a, as a father are quite rude. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they save lives without them, you yeah. know. I had um, quite a major surgery uh, not so long ago and the surgeon came around and I wanted to thank him because I was so grateful and he couldn't cope with that gratitude. Yeah, couldn't want to hear it. Yeah. No, it was bizarre. I found it so odd. I like. I thought, you know, I bet he doesn't hear this very often. I'm going to make sure that he knows that I'm grateful. Yeah. <laughs> he was so embarrassed and awkward. He ran away like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, very strange. Luke, Luke would have liked that though. Luke would have loved that. Yeah, he would have uh, passed in the glory. 
yeah. <laughs> he would have put his hands out like Jesus and went, I know I'm that great. <laughs> you, have you watched uh, The Undoing yet? Episode two I'm up to, so okay. don't tell me. No, no, but he's, the, he's a paediatrician, right? Yes. Yes. So you'll see. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, somebody's told me at that work, make sure you finish it. We've Australian drama these days, right? I can see the evolution from Cop Shop, Prisoner, Neighbours, and I, even though All Saints was definitely, you know, I know the term groundbreaking gets bandied about a bit, but it was in its own right. I mean, it, it confronted some some great issues. It was so beautifully acted and <clears throat> it, was, it was a brilliant show. What do you think about dramas – these days, uh, the only one that really comes to mind for me is Wentworth, which is probably an exception. But have things changed, Martin? Is the, how is the industry these days in making Australian stories? Well, it's shot. And why is that? There's just no work. Really? So little being made. Well, what's being made? What have we got on our screens? I watch every new Australian show, mm-hmm. um, apart from the ABC, mm. because they've got funding. But then occasionally something brilliant will be made. Like I loved Closer, um, Mystery Road, Mystery oh, Road, right. fantastic. So look, we're still capable of it right now this year. Good stuff's getting made, but so those shows don't rate. So there's fantastic Australian television being made, and no one's watching it. So disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, and I used to. I still believe in this. It's very hardcore, but it's the audience. It's our fault. Uh, it's your fault, you know. It's the audience's fault because – and it's very much like McDonald's. Why is there a McDonald's on every corner? It's because people want it. Mm. And then last night I'm watching old mate Ben Mendo in a new American series called uh, The Outsider. Okay. I watched two episodes last night. Fantastic, you know. The ABC is able to do it because it's our money. Thank yeah. God. And anybody who doesn't, you know, anytime the ABC gets threatened, please stand up for them because without it, and even with the news, even with the ABC radio, where do we get quality information? Where do we get quality drama that reflects us as a society? That's about the last place now. Well, what a sad indictment, though, I tell you. So, yeah, like you say, people don't know what they've got until it's lost. He was one of Australia's favourite actors. Martin Lyons has now been charged with assaulting a woman. He was arrested earlier this month and has since been released on conditional bail. Martin, I, I want to ask you, how, how are you doing on the personal front? Yeah, I'm good. I'm sort of, um, I'm 53 now. I've learned a lot over the years. Um, and I'm in love and my kids are, very close to my kids and my ex-wife. and um, You're a proud dad, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, an actor mate of mine said, you'd be dead if you didn't have kids. <laughs> He's probably right. Uh, <laughs> in that, you know, they get you out of yourself and just such a joy to watch grow. And well, Yeah, well, you can't concentrate on yourself when there are kids around. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, the best thing I ever did was to have a family and – I'm a stepfather, I'm a grandfather, I'm a, you know, I love it all. You're a grandfather? Um, yes. Get out. And um, I love our family that, you know, so my ex-wife and my current partner are really good friends and I'm friends with her partner and we will spend Christmas Day all together. 
you know, life. So what I have learned is that it's about uh, friends and family. So I've got the same bunch of friends that just stick through with you through thick and thin, family. There's nothing else. The rest of it's just um, tinsel, if you will. <laughs> when you go through difficult times, though, is it is the old saying true that you, you find out who is close to you and who really wasn't? Yeah, but what's interesting is I only lost one friend and he, we weren't particularly close anyway. Right. So in the hardest of times, everybody has not just stood by me but stood up. It's quite wow. interesting, you know. But that's because they're also aware of the situation and things that generate some of the hard times. But, but – yeah, I feel very lucky. I mean, I lost financially, I've lost everything. I'm rebuilding in that part of my life. But I tell you what, I'd rather have all the friends and family that I've got and be poor than be rich and not have them, you know. call it. Let's say I've had success over the years. People now think, oh, poor you, or, oh, you know, he's washed up, he's a has-been. And, and I don't feel like that. And it's kind of unfair and rude, you know. It's like... You don't know much about my life today and tomorrow and yesterday. So, you know, you, you knew about it when it was in the magazines. But, um, yeah, that's it's an unfortunate. I think that it's very hard for a lot of people to deal with. You know, I was talking about Rowena and Francis and Jude earlier. Uh, sometimes that can be very hard. Just what, the same way it can be very hard for a young 18, 19, 20, 25-year-old to deal with the getting of fame or success or however you want to put it, the whole that whole beast is very hard to deal with at all ages. So yeah, you've got this private private self and then the public self and, and and it must be bizarre to be a public figure and people read something about a moment in time in your life and then draw conclusions. I, I'm wondering how that is, how that sits. Well, that's why I've written a book. I wrote a book about my, my whole life, really. I wrote it um, for my kids initially and as a diary. Is it, is it a warts and all book? You, oh, yeah, or? very much so. Look, so let's cut to the chase. I've, I've been in jail for two years. Um, my life was torn to shreds by... Um, some unfair accusations, you know, very much. So let's get right into it. So like Craig McLaughlin and uh, there's a lot of people in the media, John Jarrett going through similar things. Some are getting the result. Uh, footballers, uh, I was in a similar situation, but it was so misreported and so unfairly reported. Mm. Um, it was a partner of several years that I was with who made accusations the judge in his sentencing comments said, I don't believe it, but I have to uh, take the jury's verdict, uh, which is extraordinary. That's our legal system. Mm. Judge says that. It's just like, what? And that was my life. So I lost everything financially. I went to jail for two years and missed two years of my kid's life. But but it's life lesson, you know. Um, but, yeah, when people want to judge you on it, that's why, partly why, so I wrote the book for the kids to just to hear all the nice stuff, All Saints, NIDA, you know, mm-hmm. footy, TV. But um, the jail stuff is like trying to explain my side of the story. Like, for example, 
what the judge said is there on public record. It's in sentencing comments, as is the whole trial. The media write what they like, but, um, I, yeah, <laughs> I was found guilty of digitally penetrating my partner for three seconds. That's with your finger. Yeah. That's what I went to jail for. That's the, that's the warts. Um, but, but I didn't do that, and I maintain my innocence. I was found guilty of common assault for pushing and pulling hair, and I did do that, and I'm ashamed of that. A man shouldn't do that to a woman. But um, I learned some lessons about toxic relationships and protecting yourself. And I look, to anybody, man or woman, who, who is in a relationship that they just know is not great, you just have to leave. You just have, as inconvenient or as much as you want that person to change. I've got a theory, which is it all starts with, telling each other to fuck off. You start telling the person you love, you start talking to them like that, it can only go one, it has to scale up and it goes from there to there to there to this and you end up in these insane arguments, throwing things around your house. If you're in that situation, just just end it. You have to, unfortunately, that even though you love somebody, you just have to leave because you can end up where I ended up <laughs> and it is I tell you what, there's a whole lot of drama in jail. It is a brutal. People think that Australian jails are cushy. They are not. Martin, some people believe that high-profile people get preferential treatment in prison. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, uh, I had to fight to survive, literally. Uh, absolutely not. I think it's the other way. Uh, the the prison guards at Park Lee used to sing the theme song to Blue Water High as they walk past the cells at three o'clock in the morning. Mm. So even the screws were taunting you. Yeah. It's it's all in the book, but you know, it's hellish. Hellish. So any anybody that's in any prison, it's hell. Uh, it, it, yeah. What did you do to get through those couple of years in there? I read and I wrote. So I read constantly. Once I was allowed to get books, people weren't allowed to send me books. At Silverwater, I wasn't allowed to have a book. That's another. That's our jail system. What is that? These people are all walking back into our society, but there is no rehabilitation. You're not even allowed to have a book. It's just crazy. But it, when I did get to a place where I had access to books, I, I read and I managed to get to a guitar in the last year, played a lot of guitar, wrote songs, wrote my feelings down. Um, my partner was incredibly supportive. She was the first one at visits every Saturday for two years. So my Ex-wife brought my kids to see me. I just survived. That's all All it's about. But I kept trying to uh, keep my mind out. In some ways, it's an incredibly quiet time because you've got nothing but just time, time, time. So you've got time to read and write and there's really nothing else you can do. You said it was physically brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got in many fights and... Uh, yeah, suffered physical damage and, and inflicted some as well. There's no Jesus. choice. Jail's a very violent place. 
especially when you're inside on uh, domestic violence charges. Well, you so, become a target. Absolutely. Like a pedophile. A pedophile is, you know, essentially uh, an easy, t- you know, they're getting coppered. Any violence against women or children, you are second-class citizen inside and you, you're going to have to – and I had to deal with all that. <laughs> so, so I had to deal with all the – you're that guy off that show. <laughs> but inside it was all about home and away. Oh, really? The number one show, the whole jail stops at 7 o'clock whenever home and away is on. So what's home and away? They love it. Really? And my character on that was a gangster. Oh, no. Who ended up in jail. Oh, when no. my trial was underway, they used photos of me in jail on Home and Away. Of course they did. Yeah. Extraordinary stuff, you know, but luckily it's, it's all in the past, so. <laughs> but, yeah. And, yeah. And what, what's your future? What is your future? Oh, I think it's magnificent. Yeah, you know, it always because, yeah, there was real estate was floated. You were yeah, real yeah. I, I was very yeah. successful, and I still got good friends in real estate, and I loved it. I made good money, I made more money in real estate than I did acting. Oh, I bet you did. I know what real estate agents are like, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed no, it because your clients love you. You know, the general public thinks you're a jerk, but your so clients... you don't want to go. You don't want to go back to that, but you want I to don't do something. Feel like I can, right? You know, in many ways, my my reputation is destroyed, you know, and my opportunities are extremely limited. Um, And I have to carry that around with me all the time, that kind of self-awareness of what people might think of me. But I'm a very strong sort of character. So, um, but creatively, I always wanted to be an old actor, you know. I think older people are so interesting, you know. Mm. So I hope I get to act. It won't be the end of the world if I don't. If I don't, I'll keep making my music at home. I'm loving home recording and just experimenting and exploring all of that. I've got like a whole album of prison songs. Oh, really? Yep. Um, What are some of the titles? Well, I'll I'll give you a bit of one that everybody loves called Slotted, which is what they call in jail, like I get to your slots, 24 hours locked in your slot, six-step pace and think I'm going to lose the plot. Screws turn the key, they don't give a fuck. If you thought you had rights, I'm sorry you're out of luck. You watch the sun rise, you watch the sun set. If you can get a little high, it's as good as it gets. It's like a human pound, inmates howling in their cages, only tales of woe written in these pages. 48 hours locked in your cell, today's a crushing boredom, a living fucking hell. You're doing head miles, sitting thinking of the past, thinking ways to end yourself, something clean and fast, instead of waking up to face another day. But I do get up. I somehow find a way. Living in protection with the lowest of the low. Yeah, a year gone by, another three to go. Pick me in the yard and I'll put you on show. Same shit every day. I lost my sense of humour. I'm always on escort. It's like I'm on tour. It wouldn't be so bad if I knew that I was guilty, felt bad about what I did, wanted to show some humility. I could have copped it sweet if I got a fair whack, but the media strung me up. The judge was on crack. So if your girl starts acting crazy like she started losing plot, you best be on your bike, sunshine, before you join me in my slot. Far out, Martin. That tells the whole story. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) That was the first thing I wrote uh, inside, just out of sheer boredom. Oh, wow. Are you going to record it? 
already have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got a whole oh. sort of EP of jail songs, but I've got a another collection of songs that got nothing to do with jail because that's sort of the whole jail experience is fading into my past, you know. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. And the work's all done. The writing, the books written, the songs are written. Whether you know, I don't really care whether they find an audience or whatever. I'd like to publish the book. I wanted to publish the book just so I had one in the car at all times so that if anyone ever tried to judge me, I could just say, read the whole story. But you know what? No one's tried to judge me. No one talks. To, no one's approached me in the street. No one, not one person. But I'm still, I'm still sure that that's because they're physically scared of me. So you still think, ah, oh, but behind, they laugh, you know, they, they say this or that behind closed doors or whatever, but I don't, I don't think they do. Are you hopeful that the entertainment industry will afford you a second chance? Um, hopeful is probably the wrong word. Um, if they did, I'd be grateful. Um, mm. But not everybody's strong enough. So you'd be a gamble, is that what you're saying? Of course. Yeah. But look at Mike Tyson, you know, I mean, look at, this is the other thing. It, it's very hard to talk about that, you know, I didn't do it because then people just roll their eyes. It's like you were found guilty in a court of law and it's like, yep, read what the judge said. But anyway, forget all that. Even if I was guilty of a three-second penetration with my finger, I've paid the price. <laughs> I've served the time. So some people truly believe in that, you know, you, everybody gets a second chance. So even... In those circumstances, I've, I've paid. I paid. I went to jail. I survived. I behaved. I'm out. It's over. And you've got the right people around you. Oh, yeah. You. I'm, this is the thing. Anybody listening, I'm fine. I'm loved. The book's called The Loved One. I'm so lucky. My mm. partner, my kids, my ex, my friends, uh, I'm so lucky. I'm fine. I'm better than most people. Oh, well, good on you, mate. Honestly, regardless yeah, thanks, of Tim. anything, ever, we, 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 we've all got our stories, right? We, Everyone. And, and life is <laughs> life is brutal, frankly. Sometimes it just Damn, keeps throwing the most unexpected things at you. And the character you helped shape, the one we started talking about, Luke Falano, yeah. is a huge part of you know a lot of people's lives. Funnily enough, you're a very talented actor. Thank and you Martin, very much. Great That's talking lovely. to you, mate. I had an idea for a spin-off show, The Falano Files. Well, as long as he starts by speeding into shot in the Porsche, well, that would yeah, be right James Garner had a, I think he had a Camaro. So, like, Luke lives in a trailer by the sea, and each week he gets into a medical dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You should write that. You've got so much creative energy. Start writing that script. Yeah, too old now. But I've had to trust a new young Falano. <laughs> <laughs> the young Falano files. I yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. It's been I'm a pleasure cool. talking to you, Martin. You too, Tim. <laughs>